0: Hello, and welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations, a podcast brought to you by survivingbreastcancer.org. I'm Laura Carfing, breast cancer survivor and founder of survivingbreastcancer.org, a nonprofit organization providing community, education, and resources to empower those diagnosed with breast cancer and their caregivers from day one and beyond. Thank you to our sponsors at Tumor for making our podcast possible. Tumor provides personalized treatment options that help you stay in remission longer. Live tumor preservations, genetic sequencing, sensitivity testing, and immunotherapies are just some of the options available. Thank you for supporting our work. Hello, hello, my friends. I'm so happy to be connecting with you all this week on Breast Cancer Conversations, and today is especially exciting because it's October Breast Cancer Awareness Month. I'm your host, Laura Karfing, and if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and receive notifications each week when we come out with a new episode. You will find our podcast on Apple Podcast, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And to all of my friends who tune in every week, welcome back. I am so glad you're here, and thank you for joining us this morning. We have something really special. We are teaming up with podcast legend and rock star Emily Garnett, host of the Intersection of Cancer and Life podcast. The Intersection of Cancer and Life is a conversational look at the lives we rebuild for ourselves after a cancer diagnosis. As two podcast hosts, Emily and I decided to interview each other in this episode. The unique story about Emily was that she was diagnosed stage four at the age of 32, while raising her two-year-old son and celebrating her five year wedding anniversary. She is working on developing her own nonprofit to help families with young children whose parent has metastatic cancer. Since Emily's diagnosis, she has been a corporate speaker, program organizer, advocate, and collaborator for a number of research and community groups relating to metastatic breast cancer. Despite being composed of mostly tumor at this point, she continues to blog, podcast and talk everyone's ear off about the need for research, advocacy and a better understanding of metastatic cancer. In this episode, we talk about Zalota, Taxol and why we have to keep advocating for ourselves when we instinctively know something is not right. How one doctor diagnosed Emily at early stage breast cancer. When she went for her second opinion, it was stage four with Mets to the bones. How do we get to a standard of care across the board? Welcome to the conversation.
1: I'm really excited to finally get to talk. I feel like we've been messaging back and forth. I know, I know.
0: And I also want to ask you, too, before we get too far into the conversation, is it okay with you if I record um, the Zoom topic? Yeah, yeah, yeah what i hope to do if it comes out nice and i'll do a, like some minor editing i'm also trying to like grow our youtube presence as well oh, yeah, yeah so and i can share that with you if you want to put that on your website or like push it out anyway too so we can like yeah, cross promote I, I
1: just um i would just love the audio file because i'll send it over to my guys and they'll do their I, they do their thing and i don't know what that is but i love do that you have job. like guys
0: that do that that's awesome i need to get a team
1: I, it, it's <laughs> You know, they're amazing. I could not do any of this without them. They're literally, like, the lifeblood of the podcast because they are the ones that make it sound good and look good and, like, make it all polished.
0: That's amazing.
1: I, yeah.
0: And how did you find them? Are they friends (laughs) of yours who just, like, work in, like, sound or? Friend
1: of a friend of a friend. Um, I had, was talking to a friend of mine who about the podcast idea a year ago and she was like oh i have um i have a friend who knows some guys that that have a um uh like a podcast network talk to them and so i did and they were they were on board so we oh awesome we started out it'll in october it'll be a year
0: yeah yeah so october was when you started the podcast
1: Yeah. Yeah. I started recording in, I think, August and then we launched it in October and we're just, this will be part of season three, which is, um, then we've got both cats in here, (laughs) which will be, uh, Charlie, you want to say hi? Hello. Oh, Oh, my
0: God. I don't have any pets, but I am so close to getting a golden retriever. Like I talk about it daily, and I'm like, I just need like the therapy dog of just like calmness and love, like twenty four seven.
1: Yeah, I have to say the cats are like not as calm as you would think cats would be, Mm. but they are pretty sweet. We've had them for ten years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. They've been they've been through a lot with us. So yes. it's pretty it's pretty great but yeah no we're we're getting gearing up for season three so which I try to do like 12 episode seasons and have them with like different you know kind of a different focus different theme um but I just um like season three is going to be all breast cancer going into kind of the fall, which tends to be kind of a breast cancer awareness season. Yes. Like it gets so insane. Um,
0: Yeah. yeah. What were your other episodes? So that's interesting. So where I'm at, and I love that we're doing this like dual podcast together. Like, I I think this is like so cool. I've never done anything like this before. So like, I feel like we're both like celebrities, like meeting each other, which (laughs) is like so super awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And so, like, I was talking to a couple other people and I believe I was listening to your last, like, finale on season two where you had all of the other podcasters who talk about breast cancer on your show. And randomly, too, I was able to connect with DJ... Breast cancer, is that her yeah, name? Tina.
1: Tina, Tina yes. It's amazing. Tina oh my Conrad, God. She's yes. So great, right?
0: Exactly. So I was in her state last weekend, but our schedules were so crazy. I was there for our wedding and she was like busy with stuff and we couldn't like pass, like, pass cro- cross paths. But I was like, oh my God. And we were talking about you and like her and just like everything. I was like, this community is just so amazing, which I love.
1: It's like the worst club with the best people. Yes. It's, I, I, I had, I like, It's so crazy, all of the wonderful people that you meet, and you're like, man. And we would all probably like give this up in a heartbeat (laughs) if we could, but like, I would be sad to lose those friendships, like those connections, because it's just like, there's, they're all, it's such a supportive community,
0: right? And that's what I say in my, um, like on our podcast (laughs) or in our meet and greets or anything too, is like, yes, we all have breast cancer and we can own it or we can just say it's a chapter. Like everyone has their own vernacular that they like. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, oh my God, we are like doctors, we're lawyers, we're educators, we're moms, we're like yogi Pilates instructors. Like we are like amazing. So like, hello, come into this like unfortunate club, but like thrive because the brains behind it is like so powerful.
1: Right. I mean, you get, you get people like that you can collaborate with and work with and throw ideas off with who are brilliant yeah. who are really doing incredible things and like creating really insanely fantastic advocacy programs for like sure. it just you know like yours like you've really like taken you know in such a short time like taken a really important program and built it up and it's doing so much for so many yeah. people
0: thank you so- yeah, yeah, and I want to hear, too, so, like, okay, so you started off, I'm going to be, like, all over the place, because it's late, and it's a Tuesday. And <laughs> yeah, I hear you, I hear um, you, and I can like, hear my kids screaming
1: upstairs, uh, so I am ignoring that. Right, so you have, like, what, the three-year-old, and how many? I, I just have him, yeah. Him, okay. Yeah, yeah, and um, and he's, he's, like, a lot of kid. Mm.
0: Um. So you started the podcast in October of 2018?
1: Yep. All right. Yep. Um, I started it almost, I, I was diagnosed in November of 2017. So it was almost a year after my original diagnosis and hi Charlie. And so I started it because I was just like, I felt so isolated and I felt like there were so many things that I wanted to talk about, about life, especially life with metastatic cancer that weren't really getting it. You know, there wasn't, there was an audience, but there wasn't any sort of content. I was like, I I want this to be something that people aren't afraid to talk about. And Mm -hmm. if no one else is going to do it, like I am.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's and no so fear just, after you go through cancer. You're like, whatever. Like, I got this.
1: <laughs> I know. I know. And it's like, I mean, literally, like, as we speak, I'm pulling out, like, clumps of hair because oh. I started Taxol a couple weeks ago. You no, we did it's not. And falling oh. out at a very rapid rate all of a sudden. But Ugh. whatever. Day 14. Like,
0: That's when, like, all my started to fall out. I was on. Day,
1: I'm day 14, I think, tomorrow.
0: Okay. I yeah. I think
1: tomorrow's day 14. It was like clockwork. Yeah.
0: I was like, how do you know? And they're like, we've been doing this for years.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And that's what, that's what everyone told me is like after two weeks, like two to three weeks, you know, be prepared. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. So I'm prepared.
0: Yeah. Is this your first time on Taxol? You
1: know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But uh, yeah, I'm going to, I'm probably just going to, whatever's left by Friday, I'm just going to buzz it off. Yeah. (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, that's what I did, too. It was—it so, felt like yeah. cat hair. It was, just like, all over my face, and it was so right. annoying. It's,
1: like, all over everything, and yeah. I already have cat hair everywhere, and I'm just, like, I just don't want to be – like, when my son was, like, four months old, everyone says, oh, you know, your hair falls out, and I was not prepared for that, like, because my hair thinned so much, and it was coming out in giant clumps, and mm. it's just like that so far, but it's, like, I know it's going to get worse, and I'm like, whatever.
0: So, okay, I have like so many questions. So first off, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. What's, the, what's the name of your podcast, first of all, for our listeners to like, just know how it's to find it,
1: The Intersection of Cancer and Life. And you can find it on iTunes. You can find it um, through my website, which is emilyrgarnett.com. You can find it most places where you can find podcasts. Or the website is theintersectionofcancerandlife.com. And you can listen to it there.
0: Awesome. Yeah. And we'll link to that, too, so people can, yes. can find it. And so yes. mine, too, because I know we're like doing this like right. co-podcasting It's right. <laughs> called Breast Cancer Conversations, where we talk about anything breast cancer, whether it's like talking to survivors or doctors or nutritionists. It's like if it touches breast cancer, like we're chatting about it. Mm-hmm. And it is a offshoot of my nonprofit surviving dot org. Awesome, So, wait, what, you're like back on Taxol? Like, okay, back up a minute. Like, what?
1: (laughs) So, I was never on chemo. I was diagnosed metastatic de novo. So, I was, I had an early stage diagnosis for like two weeks. And then they found bone mets. And so, they're like, so, with de novo mets, they don't do chemo unless it's like either really aggressive and they need to they need it to chill out or, um, you know, for, for hormone receptor positive, I guess. And, or, um, if it's like, you know, oligometastasis where there's like only one or two metast- metastatic mm-hmm. spots. So I, um, I, <coughs> Mm -hmm. So I started on iBrands for a year, iBrands and Letrozole, so um, hormone therapy, then I was on a clinical trial, then I was on Zolota for like, you know, three hours, Uh, usually like two months, not even two months, and then progressed on Zolota. So now I'm on Taxol because the hormone stuff isn't working, also there's a fly in my room and it's the oh. cats are totally ignoring it. <laughs> it should be on <laughs> like, that. Do your job.
0: <laughs> so uh, what does metastatic de novo mean? I've never,
1: I've Metastatic heard- de novo means that you are diagnosed metastatic from the start. So okay. that your diagnosis was never really uh, treated or diagnosed early stage, um, that you, um, that your original diagnosis is stage four.
0: Got it. Okay. And yeah. how old were you when you were diagnosed? 32.
1: 32 was stage four. 32 was stage four and a two year old. Wow. Yeah. 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 It was, it was insane. Like, even now, I still think back and I'm like, how, like, that does not feel like real life. Right. Because it still feels so kind of like, so hard to think about like it's sometimes hard to like wrap my head around
0: yeah how did you like check yourself in or like you're so young like how
1: what were the symptoms so I um I had been having really severe bone pain like back pain when since about my son's was about two months old and I went to five different doctors. No one took me seriously. Everyone kept saying, look, you're a new mom. You're young. You're probably not taking good enough care of yourself. It kind of gave me those standard lines. And I kept going back to different people and being like, no, it's really bad. Like I, it's getting worse. I don't think it's what you are implying. And for a while they said, well, maybe it's, you know, instability in kind of your pelvic floor, your like hip muscles from childbirth or, um, one, a physical therapist said, I bet it's just probably the result of pushing. You know, sometimes oh. women don't push properly and I'm like, no, that's bullshit. Or sorry. Can do. You, yeah. Um, because I like, I had a really good labor and delivery, and I was like, I know that's not it because I know I per- pushed properly because I had good doctors, right? And um, so my primary care doctor, and was found- it
0: shooting pain or was it like just soreness or movement, not being able to stand it was, up? It
1: it eventually became this like overwhelming pain where it was like. It felt like having broken bones because that's what it was. Wow. Like like it, I had small fractures in my back that were not healing because it, they were being eaten away by cancer. Like, so my bones were literally breaking like that. And, and that's what it felt like. It was like okay. having broken bones. Um, it's uh and my primary care doctor found a lump. We were trying to get pregnant with the second baby and she found a lump and then referred me to get a um, mammogram and ultrasound. And then that's where they discovered it was breast cancer. I, they didn't discover I was metastatic until I went for a second opinion. And oh. the, the first doctor was very trigger happy to schedule me for surgery because they were like, oh, no, no, you're early stage. We don't even feel your lymph nodes. And then I went to my current oncologist for a second opinion because I was really uncomfortable with the way that the other doctors were treating me. And she was like, oh, yeah, no, we feel your lymph nodes. And we are looking at your films and, you know, reviewing them as part of the second opinion. And we, we're like, we see spots, like we see lesions on your sternum. So oh my we, God. we're going to do a PET scan to make, you know, yeah, that they had, the other doctors had completely missed. So and isn't that funny how like the sure, different you know, like
0: levels of treatment and scans, and this is something I don't was. quite understand yet. Like I talked to so many yeah. women where it's like I had the mammogram and ultrasound and now surgery. Now my experience yeah. was incredibly fortunate. I was a little naive but I went from the mammogram to ultrasound to biopsy. They also biopsied my lymph nodes. And then immediately I had the CT scans as well as a full bone scan. So I had like absolutely everything before they even came to me with like a treatment plan.
1: See, and I think that should be the standard of care. Yes. I don't know why it's not I know I don't know and I don't know why it's not across the board I think some for some doctors it is I had at the first hospital I had the mammogram and the ultrasound without a PET scan and then when they found out I was metastatic she did a bone biopsy to make sure that the the yeah, bone lesions were actually the same cancer as, was, you know, showing up as breast cancer. So, so was she was... The, was
0: the bone biopsy, like, on your spine?
1: It was on my hip bone, like, the iliac crest, where okay. kind of your hip bones fan out into your butt, like, that's, um, like, so, like, kind of right, uh, right above, kind of to the right of my spine, like,
0: kind yeah, of right the yeah. top
1: of my butt. Yeah.
0: Did they put you to uh, sleep they, for that? Or like, was that painful or?
1: Uh, yes. They give you, the anesthesiologist said, yeah, it's the same combination of drugs that killed Michael Jackson, but don't worry. We know what we're doing. I was like, okay, so at least they're good drugs. But yeah, <laughs> they, they gave me like um, propofol and a couple other things and mm-hmm. it wasn't full general anesthesia but it was very heavy sedation and I don't remember any of it Um, I've now had three bone biopsies and one liver biopsy the bone biopsies are a little bit sore for a couple of days and they actually take a few weeks to like not feel sore they they feel a little bit tender the liver biopsy I've heard can vary really wildly The breast biopsy was by far the worst of all of the places I've had biopsy. yeah
0: I but, feel the uh, same again the I breast was at that first was, like, terrible.
1: that was that was they were basically just like they were awful in every possible way wow I, I now I want to I want to turn the question back to you and here I want to know how you were diagnosed and how old you were and did you find your lump like what what was the what's the what was your diagnosis story?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I was 34 years old and I noticed dimpling on my breast. So, you know, I never thought much of it and I was trying to get get in shape and I was working out. I was like following a vegan diet and I was quite um into like working out and lifting and running and I remember wearing, like, one of these tighter tank tops at the gym. And I'm, like, you know, thinking on the shit, like, lifting my weights in the mirror. And um, one side of my pectoral muscles was, like, totally developing. And, like, the other side just wasn't. I'm, like, that's weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was, you know, in the shower looking at my breast And I'm just, like, you know what? There's, there's a significant difference. It physically looks different. And I, I didn't immediately assume cancer. But I assumed something was just not right, and um, I checked myself into my primary care. And I brought up this before too, like I don't have a family history of breast cancer, but and you know, being young under forty with dense tissue, like I don't understand how self-exams actually identify breast cancer. And when people do it so quickly, like I think you're gonna miss things.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Mine is, my, my mass is super deep and it was probably there for years, but it's so hard to find. You have to know exactly where you're looking and how you're looking for it in order to find it.
0: Yeah. So So yeah. the only way I approved it was like, Hey, when I like lean over this way, as if to like pick up new weights, I see the dimpling. And I was like, you know, I'm not really sure it's cancer, but, like, can we get a, a mammogram? I, yeah. I I don't know. And it was the first time I got a mammogram. I was under 40, so I've never had one before. I called my mom, who lives in Chicago. I'm in Boston. And, like, I called my mom, and I'm just like, Mom, I just want to keep you up to date. Like, you know, like, you're the girl. Yeah. Like, I'm the girl. Like, I've never done this yeah. before. <laughs> and she's explaining to me what it is. But, you know, I had that relationship with my mom, too, where I didn't want to come out and say, like, I think I have cancer. It was just more like hey, I'm taking the right call and the right protocol to get tested right. to be proactive. And I called my employer that day saying, hey, I have a like a thing, I'll be in at like 9.30, 10 o'clock, I'll be a little mm-hmm. late. Um, but what that ended up turning into was a mammogram that turned into an ultrasound that turned into, hey, can you squeeze you in during lunchtime? Do you have to go back to work? we Would love to do a biopsy. And at that point, I called my employer saying I'm not coming in today. I called my boyfriend and I said, "Please get your ass down here." <laughs> I don't know what a biopsy is. They make you sign all these consent forms like telling me scary terms of like we yeah. want, we need to do this to find out if it's cancer, but you know, one of the trade-offs is we might collapse your lung
1: in doing so. And I'm like, "Right, right." And you're just like is there, is like, another option? Like, right. please sit and explain this to me. And I had the same thing where I had ultrasound mammogram biopsy within the span of, like, four hours. Yes. I was like, this is bad. Like, this is – why aren't you taking more time to um, – why aren't you taking more time to talk this through with me? Like, right. this feels like bad medical care. Yes. <laughs> okay. and it's, it just, it's so It fast. just felt so frustrating and so – Isolating and just like, i sorry, this fly is driving me crazy. And I'm gonna, if you <laughs> The cats over, need to get it. <laughs> oh, are they mm-hmm. um. uh,
0: No, but I totally agree where it's like, well, if I don't sign <laughs> well, this consent form, does that mean that I'm not gonna get the biopsy? Like, of course I have to sign this consent form, right? And now I'm like, well, what about a collapsed lung? Like I walked in here healthy. I mean, yes, there was a dimple on my breast, but like I showed up healthy. Now I'm walking out, like, bruised and concerned I have cancer. And, you know, there needs to be some sort of level of support for that.
1: A lot of pain to, um, you know, research the doctors that you're going to and, like, pick a doctor, and you're thrust into this position where um, where you don't get to – you don't have any sort of autonomy over who you're dealing with. You don't know if they're good. It's, like, the best you can do is – pull up a Yelp review while they're injecting you with the the you know the numbing stuff and see if you know see if they have enough stars like and that's awful that puts us in such a position of you know such a lack of authority and I mean we need to be able to have that autonomy over our own bodies
0: oh I totally agree and So, okay, so you had your biopsy. And then at what point did they bring you for the PET scan?
1: So, I had my breast biopsy um, the first day I was diagnosed. Then I met with the breast surgeon. Then I waited a week because they had to get the biopsy results because they were really slow. And it was right around Thanksgiving. So things were Mm. slow anyway. And I met with the oncologist. I met with the plastic surgeon. I met with the breast surgeon again. I was just not getting a good vibe. And by this point, I had met with them a few times. And I was like, they were really pushing to schedule surgery within the next week. And I got the breast MRI. They said, the breast MRI, you know, it's just, you know, the right breast that has cancer in it. And I was just like... I cannot, I, my gut is telling me just do not go forward with this. And everyone I talked to, this was like a very small little regional outpost of a major hospital in New York. And everyone was telling me need to go get a second opinion and you need to. Hmm meeting with the surgeon and the oncologist there, they were like, immediately, like, we are sending you for a PET scan tomorrow morning. Yeah. You will have, we're going to get a wet read, we're going to have your results in 24 hours, because this is something we all need to know. Like, was we're, we're not going to wait around for this. And the other hospital, you know, it had been like two and a half weeks, and they were just kind of trying, It was just, it was, it felt very disorganized and unprofessional. And um, And you have to go with your gut. That's why I tell people too. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. And so then I had that PET scan. So it was, it's like three weeks before I had the PET scan, before I was, I had the metastatic uh, diagnosis. But it was the Tuesday after Thanksgiving. Wow.
0: Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. That is, like, a whirlwind. And... I know. I know, right? Like, how did you tell your parents, your husband, your child? Like, this is a life... My
1: husband was there the whole time. Um, And so he was getting the information as I was. But, you know, having to call my parents and give them that information was one of the worst phone calls of my life. Like, my, my parents, like like screamed like it was like one of those like terrifying noises that you just like can never get out of your head oh. it was did
0: it they was know cool. you were going for like a mammogram at least or is this just like all new
1: um i so i had told them about the breast cancer after the mammogram mm-hmm. um so i you know so i told them after i had the mammogram and the biopsy and then But we hadn't told them that there was a chance that it could have been stage four because we didn't really know. And so once it was stage four, like calling them, we called them right after I got the call from the oncologist. And so we got off the phone and we were like sobbing, both my husband and me. Wow. And then we called my parents and they were sobbing. And then we called my husband's parents. Yeah. And I mean, we... My little guy was two. He had just turned two, so we kind of have been talking to him about it in a pretty age appropriate way. Yeah. So we're not getting into too much detail, but we're also not you. We're not using like euphemisms. We're like you know, mommy has cancer or mommy mommy has a disease and she has to go to the hospital where they're going to give her some medicine yep. and the medicine. So we basically are like, the medicine has little tiny ninjas in it that are going to kill the bad cells. Cause he's really into ninjas and like
0: yeah, Spider-Man totally.
1: and fighting and the good and bad. And, and so it's as a lawyer, I'm always like, it always drives me cause I'm like, I want to be like, okay, but so you know we can't really say like bad guy because he hasn't been convicted yet <laughs> so <laughs> my son just looks at me and he's like no mom he's a bad guy yeah yeah oh. so
0: i was talking how- to another woman and i don't know if this applies to like you and your son but i was because i'm so intrigued about how women tell their children about breast cancer mm-hmm. that is a topic that is very like Underground, There's not a lot of books about it. There's not a lot of literature, yeah. literature about it. So I love asking about it. And so I love this, like, idea of just, like, okay, cancer and metaphors and ninjas, like, going in to, like, kill the bad guys. And there was this woman who I was speaking with, and she was telling her children about how her hair was going to fall out. Yeah. And I'm sharing this with you, too, because I thought it was so beautiful. And... She was expressing to her children like two weeks into it, like, I'm on this medication and we know the medication is working when your hair starts falling out. So just FYI, like my hair is going to start falling out. And it's like, you know, eight o'clock. She's doing bath time with the kids and she notices all of these clumps like of her hair falling out. And then I think it might have been like a four and six year old. And like the kids were like, oh, my God, mommy, your hair is falling out. Like, let me help like it's working, it's working. And like the kids would like help her pull out these clumps of hair. It's painful. <laughs> yeah, of, oh, I mean of course, yeah, kids just grabbing yeah. at your hair. But <laughs> but I think to include the kids in that process of like this yeah. is normal and this is healthy and this is a positive thing because it means that the medicine is working was a huge takeaway. And yeah. I love the way she was expressing this and including her children in that
1: process. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I when I first mentioned to my son we we were talking about it and I was like mommy's hair mommy's going to mommy's hair is going to fall out mommy's going to not have hair for a while and so we started talking about it like trying to kind of you know talk it up like this is going to be a fun thing right and I may have promised that he could paint my head like a pumpkin for fun. halloween oh, I love but it. um And then it it took a while, and so we kind of – we didn't really, like – he got very upset. And so we didn't really – we didn't really bring it up again. He was like – he started crying, and he's like, Mommy, but I love your hair. I was like, oh. Oh, that's hard. It was really hard. It was really hard for both of us. And so I'm probably going to buzz the rest of it off on Friday uh, because it's driving me crazy, and I'm – shedding more than the cats but but i've got so we've been talking about it and um i got some of that like wash out blue hair dye for my son and so i was like so everyone is going to get wacky hair everyone's going to get a wacky hairstyle so he's going to get blue you know, hair gel, my husband will get blue hair gel. Um, you know, the neighbors will probably come over and, and yes. we're gonna make it fun so that everyone is gonna get a new hairstyle. And I promised him that he I would save like a lock of my hair for him because Perfect. I feel like it it's you know in in a lot of ways the conversation can be very different when you're metastatic and you're talking about a lot of the side effects or a lot of like the, the things, you know, as a result of treatment, because we don't always know, we both don't always know if they're working and we don't know when the other shoe is going to drop. Yeah. And so like, I don't know if I'm ever going to be in a position where I can grow my hair back. Like, like right. it may be gone for the rest of my life. Like, right. And I don't really know that. So it's it's such a strange position to be like wow this may be my you know last few days with hair like forever so it's you know I, I most for the most part I've kind of made my peace with it but it's still it's weird to think about and it's weird to think about like what is going to be my little boy's new normal right and that's like could very well be having you know bald mommy like
0: right yeah. Yeah. And I spoke to this other woman, too, and I'm sharing this with you, too, because I feel like this content is so important for other breast cancer survivors to hear, because a lot of us are diagnosed under 40. A lot of us have (laughs) children. A lot of us are like, how can I be that strong, feminine, like feministic, like mother? And I'm going through all of this. And the other conversation, what I love about my job is like I hear all these great stories and I want to bring them all together because that is like, I want to be the connector, right? (laughs) And so like I'm speaking to this other woman and she's like, my son's in second grade and he's learning about gender. Mm -hmm. So you go through the gender and like, this is what a woman looks like. She's got hair, she's got boobs, Mm -hmm. she's got this, like... You know, they, they probably don't use the word boobs, but, like, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, like, you know, this is dad, short haircut, and, like, tall and slim, and, like, etc. cetera. And all of a sudden, I'm going to be that mom without having the female body parts, and I'm going to be losing my hair. And so, how do I talk to my second grader about gender when I do not fit the stereotype that they're teaching in the schools? And that was a really hard conversation. But you also want to, you know, whether you're a second grader is a male or a female, like you want that person to feel confident in themselves as an identity. Yeah. And then also yeah. like you want to be that strong woman for whoever you're being a role model tool to. And mm-hmm. the beauty of this conversation ended with the mom t- taking the daughter to the park and the daughter saying, "Hey, mom, someone else has a scarf on her head just like you. We should be friends."
1: And oh, it was just sweet. like,
0: you know, like she under—she didn't maybe understand like the scope of everything going on, mm-hmm. but she understood that my mom looked different. My mom had a scarf. This lady has a scarf. Maybe we should be friends. And yeah. that was like such I, a huge like
1: stepping stone. It's so sweet, and and I feel like kids are such great conduit Mm -hmm. for so many important conversations and like for us it 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 really became a point where we could go we could really start talking about a lot of the more nuanced aspects of people can identify as women and that that those things, those characteristics aren't necessarily like the only defining characteristics. And that right. that has actually been a great teaching point in that not only like raising a little boy to recognize, um, you know, that, that, that there is a much bigger element of gender fluidity that that we don't recognize and and sometimes really in the breast cancer community too we can we can kind of fall short of recognizing it because it's so stereotypically a female disease and like my my grandfather had um had breast cancer and so it it's always been very important for me to recognize that breast cancer isn't necessarily something that women get and that people who have breast cancer don't necessarily identify as women. And you know, mm-hmm. in however however their presentation might be. And 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 it's been really wonderful to have that conduit to discuss that with my son and have him say, well so and you know so and so person is wearing their hair you know short um, and and that doesn't necessarily mean that they you know are you know identify as a boy or a girl or however they want to identify that that it there's a huge span of gender presentation that is good and whole and and really like really gives gives kids the opportunity to recognize it and to appreciate it in a way that I, I, I don't think that I as a parent was fully in tune to that and now having a lot more conversations about kind of gender construct and presentation because of the fact that I am dealing with a lot of repercussions of my disease that are removing a lot of my you know female parts like it's it has given me an opportunity to be a better parent in those conversations because of that so you know that makes still me smile. Still not a fan of still not a fan of cancer, but you know, no, <laughs> no, of course. It's where I get. Not a
0: fan of cancer, but to enable you to have these conversations with your son and to share on the <laughs> podcast for all the like people out there listening is like, yes, it's like finding an opportunity to educate, and yeah. you know, and, it's... and
1: to 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 just create space for more open dialogue that. especially, you you know, that it's where we're not dealing with a disease that is just so female focused. Right. Uh, It's that it it really, the, I I think that there's a much greater community within the breast cancer community. There's a, a, you know, greater population that needs to be recognized and have, you know, more appropriate services geared towards them, be, you know, because there is a much broader expression of gender than just female.
0: Yeah. I have this great volunteer for our organization. I'm going to decline from like naming him out yeah. in front, but he is a rock star and he found our organization surviving .org, and he wanted to volunteer, but he was like, I love this guy. Like, he reminds me of, like, my greatest grandfather. And he's like, but I'm nervous. I don't know if I can go out and speak. He wanted to join our speaker's bureau and get out and help and educate. And he's like, I am nervous that I'm not going to be able to resonate with these women who have had breast cancer. And I'm like, dude, no problem. Did you have chemotherapy? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, tell me the drugs you were on. Did he have breast cancer? He did. Oh, okay. And so he's like, I had adriamycin, I had cytoxin, I had taxol. And I'm like, okay, cool. So, like, you lost your hair. That might not be the biggest deal. But, like, you were on these chemo drugs, and that sucked. Yeah. He's like, yeah. And then I had to have surgery. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, you probably didn't have reconstruction, but, like, that freaking but there sucks. a lot of
1: women that, uh, you know... W- People who I, you know, female identified that didn't have reconstruction either. And I think that that's like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, it's, it's. Yeah. And then so. he was
0: talking about like, I'm like, and did you end up having radiation? Like, were your lymph nodes involved? And he was like, yeah, I had radiation, 33 rounds. I rang the bell and I'm like, you have more than you realize that identify with us. Like, yeah, go out and share your story because yeah like I appreciate your humbleness but like dude like we're all in this together and it freaking sucks
1: <laughs> yeah it does it does and and that's so important the community is so is so important and so I I want to hear a little bit about kind of the the origins <laughs> of survivingbreastcancer.org I yeah. want to hear how did you how did you Start. How did you come about, like, seeing the need, and like, where where is the organization really targeting, and and you know, what are you, what are you guys doing right now?
0: Yeah. No. Great question. Thanks for giving me an opportunity to share. So I started this nonprofit in October of twenty seventeen, like Breast Cancer Awareness Month, like mm-hmm. all that great stuff. Um, but it was really like coinciding with my diagnosis. And figuring out, like, I thought it was going to be so easy to Google young breast cancer survivor Boston. Like, I'm in a big metropolitan yeah. area. Yeah. I just found out I had breast cancer. I am on social media. Like, I mean, let's be real. Like, you can find me.
1: All over the place. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, me too. Yeah. Me too. I'm like, you know, it's pretty unhealthy. Yeah.
0: yeah. And I'm okay with that. Like, it's where yeah. we are. And so the fact that I could not find one person to say, like, Hey, I had breast cancer too. Let's get a sandwich. Let's get a coffee. Like, let me tell you about it. Let me f- tell you about the other side of breast Like, I was longing for the person to say, you are going to be on the other side. Mm-hmm. Like, I was just looking for someone to tell me it was going to be okay because my doctors weren't. My family can't. I can't. Yeah. And yeah. whether it was a lie, like, I needed the lies at the time, right? Like, I needed someone to tell me I had breast cancer and look at what I'm doing now. Yeah. And that was not available in my Google searches. Um, so just FYI for anyone who's like trying to do an SEO right now, right? Like, like it has to exist. And I live in an amazing area. Like, if I'm going to be sick in Boston, I have like the top-notch doctors, like thousands of hospitals and doctors right. in like a one-mile right. radius. Yeah. And they have phenomenal resources. But I was working, so I couldn't attend the support groups at, like, 2 p.m. on a Monday. Or, right. like, Thursday right. at, like, 4. Because I, like, I have, would have had to leave early. And then also what I learned, too, is that they're not all necessarily focused around breast cancer. A lot of the support groups are focused around all cancers mm-hmm. to, like, maximize the impact. So, like, everyone is coming, regardless of cancer, to discuss their, their situation. And I think I was also intimidated because I didn't want to be in a negative environment. Not saying that they were a negative environment, but... I was just nervous to be around people who had a breast cancer diagnosis or any diagnosis of cancer and it wasn't going to be what I needed so I was like shit I'm just gonna create the freaking community that I need <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like
1: yeah
0: uh, like I was like I need help guys all right let me create a website create a blog create a podcast create a YouTube channel Um, I documented amazing, yeah everything on my youtube channel and this is like what's really funny too because i didn't know you had to shoot horizontal i was shooting everything vertical like <laughs> thinking i was like yeah this is my youtube channel but this is what was so great about the youtube channel is that everyone was asking me if i was going to blog and i'm like i don't know no it's too much time too much effort spell check like it's way too much work and then you put through chemotherapy on top of it like it just was not going. it's happen. a lot of work yeah oh my gosh yeah. but i'm like i can be like Chemo brained and like talking into my phone Like that I can do because this is like Legit what you experience Right Um, right. So I remember the first time I got my port placed For the infusions and for the chemo And they told me I was going to be sore for like Five days so I'm like showing everyone Like the video of like this is my port This is what it looks like it's sore it's red This is so great You're going to love this Um, Five days into it I got a comment And they were like your port's Infected (laughs) Oh, shit. Right? Right. I'm like, here I am thinking, like, it's a little red. They said that was normal. And someone was like, no, that really looks infected. Oh, my God. And I'm like, it is? Oh, God. So I took a picture. I sent it to my oncologist. I was like, someone thinks this is infected. He's (laughs) like, it is. Get your ass in here. we got to take it out. So now I have this great, like, juxtaposition on our YouTube channel of, like, this is what it looks like. If it looks like this, go in. <laughs> I mean, but that's
1: like, like that's that's one of those experiences. I feel like there are always great m- teachable moments for mm-hmm. bad experiences because now you have a whole documentation of what an infected port looks like. Right. I wouldn't know what an infected port looks wow. like. Like, and and it, honestly, if I'm googling it, I want to be able to see a picture of it, not a drawing, not like you know, exactly you know, five five things to look for i want to see a picture of an infected port right and Maybe here i am like, like
0: yeah it's a little red but they said that was normal it's a little warm to the touch but like i think it's just healing like i was like, like so blood.
1: you're like hmm. <laughs> right
0: i was like so naive but, but i was just i was so early on too in my diagnosis yeah. that i was like i can't have like a mistake this early on and then
1: uh, yeah yeah, and there's so much you you learn as you go on. How much you don't know, you don't know, yes. and it's like it's insane. It's oh. it's so hard because then you're just like, you know, the learning curve is so steep. steep. Yeah, yeah.
0: For those who want to learn, I mean, I feel like yeah. I also talked to a lot of women who are like, I just don't want to know. And I listened to yeah. the oncologists, and they were like
1: the one all say all, and yeah. I'm like. And, that's yeah, and that's okay too. Like, that's there. There are so many ways that we handle this kind of diagnosis and yeah. handle life after the diagnosis while we're living with the disease. And it's, um, you know, it, it's just as that there's no one size fits all treatment, there's one, no one size fits all, you know, response and life mm-hmm. with breast cancer in however it manifests for you.
0: Yeah, completely. Yeah. So I started, um, so I I went back to work. And like I said earlier, like, I love my job. Please don't fire me. Like, I love my job. I need you guys. (laughs) I love my job. I need my job. (laughs) Um, But honestly, like, I work in higher ed. And I love, I've worked in higher ed for, like, over a decade. I have my doctorate in education. Like, this is my career path. But then a student came to me and he was like, I didn't get into the one elective that I need for my concentration. If I don't get into this elective, I don't get the concentration. If I don't get the concentration, I can't get the career. And my life is over. Like, I have to get into this course. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, you know, there's a process and there's a wait list. And like, I go through like the, you know, talking points. He's like, you don't understand. If I don't get into this course, my life is over. And I'm like, if I don't beat cancer, my life is over. Yeah. Like, I am sorry. I'm trying to help you, but this is not life and death.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And so I the perspective and I'm sure we can have a whole other discussion on perspective But the perspective was like, you know what? I really need to tip the scale so that I can do SBC and survivingbreastcancer.org 100% full time. I need to figure out funding. Like, I don't have that business background. Granted, I work with business students, like Osmosis or something's coming through. But, like, you know, like I want to help people, I want to provide education, community, like support. And so, like, education can come through reading our blogs, reading our website. Um, listening to our podcast for the people who don't want to read or our meet and greets where they want to meet people in person like everyone has their own ways of wanting to engage when they're ready to engage because I also acknowledge that not everybody is ready at the same time Right. like a year out they may finally be ready to talk about it or you just recently got diagnosed and you're freaking out because you're waiting for like results like I get it so come join so everyone has these like ebbs and flows of when they need our resources, my job is to provide the
1: resources. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and it's been so funny that you say that. um, Because I have actually found, I have, I, I jumped in, I did like a pretty deep dive very quickly and very early. And I was like all in. And then I found like, as my disease has progressed and as, as I've had, as I've basically gotten worse and worse news, I've had less interest and less kind of um, ability to engage in a lot of ways. Hmm. And so I've been where I've been taking, you know, steps back and kind of trying to focus my energy and my information filters in a way where at the beginning I was like just Casting out very wide nets and very much like, you know, take, I'll take everything, every piece of information. And, and, and so now it's like, it's very different. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's, um, so it's, uh, it's just really very, you know, it's so dependent on what, at what point in time, um, you know, you're even looking at when you're, you know, post-diagnosis life. And I, I always, I'm always hesitant to say, you know, to talk about any sort of like survivorship, because for me and, you know, with the metastatic community, it's not, and I'm not speaking for everyone, obviously, but it's, it's very difficult to have conversations about being a survivor because that's not our reality. And it is a lot of times we tend to get very um, kind of put on the back burner with, um, you know, within groups because quite frankly, our reality feels kind of depressing to a lot of people and can be very scary. And I, I, I mean, not to say it's not, it is depressing and scary, but like, I think it's also important to say like we're still existing with that depressing and scary reality and please acknowledge that. 100%. And so it's, um, you know, it, it becomes a very different set of conversations a very different set of paradigms that, that we operate within because we're, we're not, we're never going to be, you know most of us are never going to be done with treatment we're never going to be yeah. like ringing the bell and um and and so it is it's really it, it's very it can be very challenging and it can be very it can be very isolating within you know within the time of of that um you know of different points after diagnosis
0: so oh. i and thank you for sharing that like uh, the language is something I'm very cognizant of, and it's hard to navigate because there are people who love the, like, fighter, warrior, yeah, like, yeah. I won attitude. Um, even all the t-shirts, like, people sent me a t-shirt that said, like, I won Trying to like inspire yeah. me, I'm like, did I win? I don't, I don't know if I won. Like,
1: where's my prize money? But, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like,
0: <laughs> but is, I think you bring up a good point, and I try in a lot of the work that I do is to say like someone living with breast cancer. Like, me too. Yeah, not I, just I, like someone diagnosed with breast cancer, someone living with breast cancer. I use the word thriver, survivor interchangeably. Um, but I would love as someone who's stage four, like how could somebody provide you support like what and you don't have to speak for the community at large but like yeah what's the I mean, like takeaways
1: I well, personal takeaways I have um well with the language thing I mean that and that's that's something that I am I think most attenuated to and because I I really think that as as much as the survivorship language could be very empowering for people it it almost serves as a double edged sword because it 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 overtakes the opportunity to create person first dialogue and so you know, my early career was working with people living with hiv and it was drilled into our heads at the organization i was working for how we would talk about people living with hiv they were not aids patients they were not you know uh, you know any of the terminology that you would hear even like 10 years ago you know one of the my the thing one of the terms that just appalled me was you know would people say full blown aids like oh. that is it's so or AIDS patient, in, you know, in the same vein as cancer patient, like the person first language allows us to, um, oh, so I telemarketer keeps calling me, um, sorry. And, um, you know, allows us to say that we're, uh, you know, people living with cancer, living right. with breast cancer and, And so that allows us to be more than our diagnosis, more than the thing that is, you know, it's not something that's defining us. It's playing a part in who we are, but it's not the defining characteristic of our lives. And so that's always what I what I like to say is like someone living with breast cancer and um, and that that is to me that's the most inclusive term and then that way people can use whatever terminology fits them without having to have kind of a narrative prescribed to them mm-hmm. exactly. and, um, and and i i i feel like f- as as a you know someone who's metastatic the the survivor the fight, you know, the fight euphemisms and the survivor mentality almost puts me in this fight or flight response, which is just not sustainable. Like wow. I, I can do that for six months, but I can't do that for two years. Right. And so mm-hmm. that is just, you know, recognizing that difference is so key to being supportive versus, um, you know, supportive versus versus less so but otherwise like our preschool set up a meal train for us which has been the greatest thing ever i'm obsessed with the meal train um for anyone out there that's listening that is part of it you guys are freaking angels because i don't even know what i would do without that i mean just like and it's like it's so great because i could just go on and say my stomach is upset i like xy and z foods you know pasta is a good bet right now yeah, uh, yeah. you know the bland kind of thing. Yeah. yeah yeah or i need a ride on this day or i need childcare help and 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 it's fantastic so, so i
0: would love to hear from you too so one of the niches that survivingbreastcancer.org fills is that like when your doctor tells you post-active treatment, come back in three months, come back in mm-hmm. six months, come back in a year for your checkup. That's really when I think like the trauma hits because your mm-hmm. mind is finally able to digest everything that you just went through. And so what I hope to be at survivingbreastcancer.org is like, what is that and I I have a ton of questions for you, but like what does that survivorship program look like? And whether it's called survivorship or whether it's called aftermath or if it's called living with or blah, 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 like we can make up a term for like whatever this phase is. This is the phase that I found, and all of this is based on my own experience, where I needed the most help. This is where I needed the most support in terms of diet, exercise, nutrition, community, support, anxiety. Like, I, I they were like, come back. And I'm like, okay, great news.
1: And then yeah. I walk out the door and I'm like, oh, like, well, like, yeah, like what, what, what life? Like, where is it? So Tiffany Diba, who is. Amazing, um, and she she runs a blog called Tiff versus Cancer and an Instagram that's C D R E A M. So C Dream. She actually just did a really incredible blog series um, on kind of the myths of survivorship.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and and she really has a lot of great things to say about it. I. I'm like the worst person to ask because I have no idea like and and that is it is not it is um you know I feel like I feel like it's it's living with as much as anything else but like being metastatic like we don't have those kind of appointments and so it's like like I have no I have no experience to speak of about having those follow-up appointments like that, cause that's never going to be my reality. Like I go, I go to the hospital every week, like, yeah. and, and, uh, that's going to be for probably the rest of my life. Yeah. And so it's, um, it's so, um, you know, I, I just like, I have no, I can't speak to like what that what that kind of survivorship or living with program would even would even look like because I can't speak to an experience that I that I don't have.
0: Yeah, completely. Like, and,
1: and it's um.
0: I want to ask and, you like what you need and how I can help.
1: <laughs> what I need a new liver. Um, <laughs> it, and, you hear and, that, you all yeah, like. Yeah. yeah. Um, and not not because I was wild in college, although I was. Um, no, it's just because it's been acting up and it's giving me so many problems. Um, so, I, you How know. How can we I,
0: support stage four?
1: But including us, include us, and make us not feel like an afterthought. No. Make our resources as readily available and as 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 and as specific as resources for early stage yeah because if one in 3 women will eventually metastasize we're looking at a huge population that needs access to resources and that are are, are just are really I mean, we get overlooked, we get and we get um, sequestered in a way that is not appropriate because or or in communities that are all breast cancer, it sometimes our you know, stage four will get kind of cordoned off. And I, I think it's so important to have conversations like this about stage four that are available for people who are early stage, not because I want to be the bookie man, but because I think that it's important to A learn what that life looks like and B just have that the the knowledge that that that's that 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 it happens, that, that metastasis happens, and I'm not gonna say, you know, that your life isn't over because I can't speak to that. Like, it's a very, very wide range of not great statistics, but that I I want to be able to say that there are resources and support should that become your reality. And like, that's really what we need is that to be pulled in and embraced by the larger community in a way that the larger community can become metastatic allies and push for more funding and expansion of clinical trials and Mm -hmm. more recognition and and within you know larger groups as far as our needs and the really funding for research more research for metastatic breast cancer is absolutely it's so yeah
0: yeah i need to hook you up with my friend abigail she's the same way she's like she believes that if we can find funding to do the research for metastatic, the trickle down effect will help everybody else.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Because there's there's a lot of research that is available to expand upon for early stage disease. Yes. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't we shouldn't research it. I'm saying that, you know, if we're only giving seven percent of funding to metastatic disease, but it's still killing 99% of people diagnosed with breast cancer, that right. seems like a discrepancy. And wouldn't you wanna be putting the money for research towards the thing that is actually taking lives?
0: Exactly. No, and I totally agree. So I wanna we're gonna have a follow-up. Yeah. It's for gonna sure. be you, me, and um Abigail. This will be yes. amazing. Um, but second, I just found out the staggering statistic that the American Cancer Society, when you're looking at all of the stats for stage four, do not include those who have been from stage one through three, who have then had a recurrence and are now stage
1: four. There, the statistics for metastatic breast cancer are really, really poorly maintained. Yeah. And there is just not enough accuracy put towards improving those and that I mean that's quite frankly that should be the first step is looking you know getting the information and so I feel like anyone I mean and maybe you know I feel like anyone who's gonna pull those statistics actually look at them in a way that you know critically and say oh my God, <laughs> this is right. what's happening. Here's stage
0: yeah, four, but here are all the people who went from yeah. stage one through three are now yeah. stage four. Like that number is not publicized. And that's yeah. the problem. And like, yeah. that's that's a problem
1: and and i i think also there are very big issues and i i i don't actually know the exact statistic or number but in terms of tracking metastatic de novo like yes. like there's a huge huge problem with what is being tracked statistically for metastatic breast cancer and that is a big reason why the funding um the the funding isn't being made available is because we can't point to numbers and say, look, X, Y, and Z is, is happening. Yeah. And I, I believe I think it's the S E E R the SEER database is the database that is supposed to be, you know, that's supposed to be responsible for managing that sort of disease information. And that's that, that they need to, you know,
0: do better. Yeah. So, girl. girl, yeah. girl, there yeah. are so many more conversations to be had yeah, yeah. over some, like, a bottle of wine and, like, everything.
1: <laughs> I know. I could, I could keep going. I could and do, and that's why the podcast exists. Yeah, so
0: can we, like, like, wrap up with, like, okay, yes. tell me about your, bo- your podcast and tell me about your blog and your website. Like, what is it that, like, your vision is and how we can help support that?
1: Well, my, blog is um, Emily, it's called Beyond the Pink Ribbon and it's at emilyrgarnett.com and it is basically I started it, I think a day or two days after my diagnosis I started started writing in it because I wanted that first person chronicle in as close to real time as possible about what was happening and at that point I didn't know I'd be metastatic I didn't know what was going to happen but I needed to chronicle it. And now I, you know, I have almost two years of basically all of my treatment changes, everything that's happened in all of the different ways, all of the fertility challenges, all of, you know, it's, it's my story in a lot of ways. And I've done, um, I also have links to a lot of the writing that I've done for other websites. Um, including uh, advancedbreastcancer.net and the Young Survival Coalition. Awesome. Uh, the podcast is called The Intersection of Cancer and Life and it's at theintersectionofcancerandlife.com but you can also find it on the blog or wherever you find podcasts and it's it's really just a lot of these kind of conversations where it is a, a push towards going further than one's diagnosis and Mm -hmm. recognizing that a cancer diagnosis plays a huge part in who we are, but it's not the thing that defines us and how we can look at people holistically in the ways that cancer, you know, really has to be glib, you know, intersected their life. And I'm I've been branching out a little bit more, talking to um, providers, different providers and authors, and you know people within the cancer community that aren't necessarily living with the disease. And it's um, all cancers yeah. with a focus on people who are uh, metastatic and getting getting those stories out there i'm going to
0: introduce you to the one percent podcast have you heard of
1: them i have i have Wait, yes have they're you, amazing
0: have you been yes. on true it show yet yes,
1: oh, yes okay we just we just recorded um a couple weeks ago oh awesome so, yeah i had yeah. a little
0: blurb with him as well he's amazing he's
1: great yeah yeah i'm i'm hoping to once i wrap up this season once i you know move forward with season four, I. True, if you're listening, i got coming for you. I'm hoping to have him on on my show and have him talk a little bit about, um, uh, you know, his experience.
0: And where in New York are you? Where can I find you?
1: So I am about an hour North of the city. So we moved up here two months before I was diagnosed. So we've been in this house now almost two years. Um, and we moved from New York city. So we were living, um, in Northern Manhattan. Now we're in Northern Westchester cool. and I love it up here. I'm obsessed. Yeah. Like
0: email today. address handles. How can people get in touch with you? Yes.
1: So you can email me at beyond the pink ribbon at gmail.com. Um, Instagram at beyond the pink ribbon. Um, Twitter at EMR Garnett and Facebook at beyond the pink ribbon blog. Nice. I love uh, it. Yes. And how about you for, Everyone else out there, where can we find uh, find you and find survivingbreastcancer.org?
0: Yeah, so the website, this is like strategic branding on my part, right? Like, yeah. survivingbreastcancer.org is our website and organization. I'm at laura at survivingbreastcancer.org if you want to email me, be on the show, or connect, have questions. Instagram is survivingbreastcancer.org, all one word. And our Twitter account is SBC. We're going like acronym style.
1: So like SBC okay. underscore org. Awesome. Awesome. And I think we'll probably both link to all of it in the show notes. hundred percent This was amazing. Let's do it again. And let's, you know, we can totally round up round up the crew and get another sure. round table. Because I, those ladies are really just a dynamo. Oh my gosh.
0: Women making You're it
1: happen. <laughs> I love it. I it love happen. it. I'm super excited.
0: Emily, um, you are like a star. I'm so happy to be speaking with you.
1: You too, you too. <laughs> I'm so I'm so excited. I feel like feel like this is going to we're gonna like keep doing both like some really great things. For like, sure,
0: for sure. Yes. Love it. <laughs> this
1: is amazing. <laughs> it's so meta.
0: <laughs> it is. Okay, right, I love you, girl. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thank you so yes. much. I yes. love it. Exactly.
1: Send me an email and um, we'll set up the Google Doc and I will bombard you with emails and information
0: because that's what I do to everyone. Do it. Do it. Bring it. And I'm going to come find you in New York.
1: Wow. I love it. Love
0: it. it. All All right. Bye. Bye. And thank you everyone for listening to our show. I would like to acknowledge that all of the information on our podcast are from personal experiences and are not a substitute for professional medical advice, you should always contact your medical care team. If you're looking for specific topics or would like to be a guest on our show, please feel free to reach out to me. My email is laura at survivingbreastcancer.org. Until next time, keep on thriving.